Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 237th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. We're also super into fair, free elections, uh, putting out mass wildfires. There's, There's lots going on. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some very valuable information with all of you tonight. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week? Well, this week is a show in four parts. Segment 1, our top metagame week in review. Segment 2, our top paper movers, uh, followed by the top moto movers, so all the cards that have seen the most price increase this last week. Uh, (laughs) Kind of a mess this week, really. Segment three are paper cards to watch, some stuff James and I have our eyes on as potential gainers. And segment four, topic of the week, um, you're working on a 10 past the Smarter MTG Finance article, and we're going to touch on some of those concepts. Okay. So let's get started up here. The Meta- MTGO metagame we can review, I always want to say MitGo. Um I see on the Pioneer side, a blue-red Arclight Phoenix deck popped up, which was an archetype we expected a lot of out of the gate and pioneer that has been fairly dormant for quite some time a less traction on that than i would have expected yeah i mean the arclight phoenix spec i think i called once or twice the first time i called it it was a win uh, if people got in and out within four weeks or so and then the second time we called it it was pre-covid and we were like inevitably this four of mythic is going to pop back up in pioneer and or modern and it has popped up here and there along the way but by no means has been the dominant force it was earlier on in its career so i am uh, happy to see arclight in a, a relatively significant top eight because this wasn't just a daily this was a champs qualifier challenge or something like that so a slightly higher uh, level tournament on Magic Online than uh, would normally be the case. Now, I'm not 100% clear on whether the competition was dulled a bit by the fact that this was running concurrently with the Pro Tour. Quite a lot of the best players in the world were, of course, pretty busy playing Historic this weekend. Um, so that may have had some impact on where the top eights went for Pioneer and Modern over the weekend, but hard to tell for sure. Uh, the rest of this top eight was five colored of Mizzet, consistently performing deck in Pioneer, Teamer Reclamation in second, two black aggros in third and fourth, and another black vampires in sixth. Feel like we see, you know, those same players <laughs> rolling out those decks week after week in Pioneer, because again, the uh, Magic Online Pioneer scene isn't that big. And then in seventh and eighth, 
Jeskai Yorion Planeswalkers and Esper Yorion Planeswalkers uh, informs one of my picks this week. Now, mm. now, over in Modern, we have a Humans deck taking down the top eight uh, with three General Kudro uh, as the major addition since, uh, you know, nine nine months ago or so. Teamer Uro with uh, Red and Six, three Uro, and two Field of the Dead in second. And interestingly, that version of the, of the deck you would expect has something like Scapeshift, but it doesn't. Uh, Blue-White Control in third, and then probably the most interesting deck in the modern top eight, uh, the modern champs qualifier, was... uh, Oh, and I guess that's... Yeah, it was a Pioneer Challenge, but the modern lists were the modern champs qualifier. So when I said that the blue-red Arclight deck was a a higher-level tournament, that wasn't quite true. It was Pioneer Challenge. So back over to the most interesting deck in the modern champs qualifier, White-Green Lands in fourth and seven is a fairly sexy deck to be putting two copies into the top eight uh, of a modern tournament. This thing looks like it's going places, and I have a feeling this is exactly the kind of deck that if it put two copies in the top eight of a Star City Games tournament or a major uh, Magic-covered tournament, uh, Channel Fireball-covered tournament, in a Magic Fest, you know, pre-COVID, this would have moved some cardboard. Boy, it is a bit of a flat uh, throwback here to see four flag zones of Trocare. I remember seeing Nell that regularly way back when Modern was fresh and new. And it's been dormant for a long time, but to see it again show up is, is kind of amusing in its new UMA frame. Um, also, I, you know, I, I see the four Dry to the Ilzean Grove, which I think I just talked about last week. And for Elvish Reclaimer, which um, yeah, everybody noted as a potential green dork of import when it was spoiled back in M20. So Amulet of Vigor never caught a ban. It's legal and modern. But this is a four times Primeval Titan deck that's not running any amulets of Vigor at all. 32 lands, 18 creatures. And every creature is basically lands matters themed, more or less. You got two Arboreal Grazer, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which was one of my picks last week, four Elvish Reclaimer, which shows up in in the uh, Hot Movers list below, I think, at least for Magic Online, a Knight of Autumn, four Primeval Titan, one Ramanap Excavator, one Sakura Tribe Elder, and one Spring Bloom Dryad. So the, almost all of these creatures are either fetching, putting extra lands into play, going to get lands um, or uh, letting you play lands off the top of your library, etc. Two explore as sorceries, four path to exile as a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, control. That, that to explore has to be a joke, right? <laughs> I, I guess they just couldn't f- find additional slots. But, but that was what got Burton Cheney banned to explore. Really? Yeah, because his opponent's like, you have an extra land in play, and he's like, to explore. And like that was his whole answer was to explore, and that became like a meme. I see. Interesting. Well, I mean, let's see if the seventh also the seventh place version also runs it like that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, I don't actually think that he did it on purpose, but it is kind of funny to see. So the, the, the card that I think is most interesting here is four Eladomri's Call in a Primeval Titan deck. Uh, so a, a lot of, a, a lot, I would say a lot of Marie, a lot of Demry, Eladomri, probably Eladomri. Yeah, Eladomri. I've just been saying it wrong. Eladomri. Eladomri's Call has been a big game in EDH forever. I mean, I remember putting that into my deck when I started playing EDH, God knows how many years ago. Um, 
So there's definitely been consistent demand there. And the Modern Horizons printing, I think, took some of the steam out of whatever the previous printing from that might have been still have been Plane Shift. But if this gained some traction in Modern, which we kind of wondered if it would when Modern Horizons showed up, that would be a pretty big get for the card because you've already got a very solid demand base out of EDH. And if you're adding competitive chops to it where players are trying to pick up four, that would uh, that could do a lot for the card. Um it just, it was hard. I remember when Modern Horizons came out, I'm like, this could be a huge deal for Modern, but there are a lot of crazy cards in this set, and I have no idea. There's They can't all matter, so like, is, is Call going to work or not? And it's been, we've seen it once or twice, but it hasn't been too big of a deal yet. Well, the thing here is it's showing up in multiple archetypes, and o- almost always mm-hmm. as a four of. So it's been here and there uh, uh, in the green-white creature combo decks. You know, you're uh, the ones that have four or five different combos stuffed into them with uh, Devoted Druid, uh, Heliod sometimes, Walking Ballista, and and what have you. And now it, now if this Green-White Lands Matters deck with the Primeval Titans is going to be a thing, you know, if we were back in paper, I'd be looking pretty hard at Eladomri's Call Foils, given that they're in 21,000 reported decks on EDH Rec as is. And it's we know that we're getting Modern Horizons 2 next summer. Fairly unlikely there's going to be much, if any, overlap in the cards presented there. We're expecting to see some reprints and a bunch of new cards, just like last time. Feels like that was always the product plan, given that it was the original hashtag was MH1 and not just MTGMH. Mm-hmm. So we were already asking the question, you know, when are we going to see it? And sure enough, we're seeing it exactly two years later, which is more or less when we called that we would see it. Um at a certain point, we thought, well, with the introduction of Pioneer, maybe the next one is going to be a Pioneer Masters, but doesn't look like they felt that that confident pulling that trigger, you know, whether or not they even considered it probably a story for down the road from them. But the the fact remains, Eladomri's Call Foils, I, I'd be taking a, a look at those and trying to figure out what the play is because it has a, a lot broader base than people realize, and this is an instant speed creature tutor. Go get any creature out of your deck, put it in your hand at the end of somebody's turn. It's not a sorcery. It's not like Demonic Tutor. It's it's an underrated card. Oh, this showed up in Masters 25 as well. Yeah, that that, that that explained that many foil printings in that short period of time explains why it was kind of off the radar for a while. As a rare. But it's still only, yeah, only about eight bucks for the foils. Um, looks like there's 16 vendors on the MH1 copy, and I will tell you about Master 25 in just a minute. Also, about about nine to ten bucks for 11 vendors on the uh, Master 25 copy. So that doesn't seem like a bad choice at all, in all honesty. And and I can't see it being a top priority for them, given that they've given us two printings in the last three years. For sure. And the plane shift foils, by the way, are one hundred twenty dollars. Yeah, and they're they're old border. Foils. So, yeah, so yeah, so and not that these are going to be one hundred twenty dollars, but like they are essentially two different classes of card. Um, so yeah, that could easily be twenty twenty five bucks. I would not be surprised to see that. So worth considering. That's a it's an honorary pick for both of us. I, I, I think it absolutely is because you know you as you called out sixteen listings at near mint foil for the modern horizons versions, and it the ramp is real steep. Like start around eight bucks pretty quickly, get to 10 or 12 and then boom, you're up to like 15 and then the next one's 45. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- this is almost certainly a honorary pick of the week. 
Um, all right, so to wrap that up, we've got the rest of what we see going on in that top eight is relatively well known. We've got a fifth place Eldrazi Tron list, Sultai Control with four Uro and sixth. Uh, I'm getting the itch that that card is better off sold than held. Um, just feels like it's going to catch a ban somewhere. And then Teamer Escape Shift in eighth is pretty similar to the Teamer, teamer list in second, except this one I think does have uh, four copies of Escape Shift main. All right, so moving on over to the segment two top paper movers of the week, we've got Elder Gargaroth foil uh, foil regular copies going 12 to 18. This is on the back of pretty broad play in digital across multiple formats. It's shown up in modern lately on Magic Online lists. It's uh, a pretty solid EDH card. It's kind of card that casuals will buy. It just seems like an impressive green creature. And it could be one of the key mythics out of Core 21 over the next uh, year or two for sure. Why is this not Elder Gargadon? <laughs> Seems like a weird choice. Like you have Gargadons and you have Gargaroths. Yeah, different planes, you know. But they're both just beasts. Subtle subtle variations in, in language. And, and Gargadon came from Planar Chaos, which wasn't even a plane. Like you could, like it could, could have come from anywhere. I don't know. It seems like an odd choice. Uh, yeah, this is a card that I could see being a major like what 25 30 dollar mythic in paper were we not where we are so worth keeping an eye on well so this is tough i mean this gets into the whole discussion of when do people get to play magic again and this would rotate a year from now right this would rotate next mm-hmm. fall doesn't so get a full two-year cycle time, you're right yeah and like by the time that it's likely that 80% of Americans can go play Magic in stores. I don't think we're looking at any time before next summer. And really, you'd want to be in on this now and out in this early early winter, early spring, late winter. So I think you're probably not really going to get a window to buy and to flip this in paper where you would have otherwise. It's reported in a thousand decks so far on EDH Rec, which is like a solid, not amazing result. I could see it ending up in three or four thousand of the course of the next year. I don't get why you would ever play this in EDH. This is a this is a this is a I ran out of cards to put in my deck card, and this one's mythic, so I guess it's fine. It, it just goes into like beast, like medium to big creatures lists that are running all the like four power plus matters themes. Yeah, that's I suppose it's still not good, but I guess that's why it's only in a thousand. Well, I mean, decks. it's not combo rific. Like it's it's certainly not CDH good. There's no nothing interesting to do with this card by comboing it off with something else it's just a strong value creature but people are still running solemn simulacrum and arguably for a mana more this does a lot more Mm, i disagree but i suppose that that's neither here nor there okay um moat out of legends uh 700 to a thousand so if you you know if you had seven or eight moats floating around Oh, that's good news for well, I mean, I, flag, I flagged this because this is the kind of movement where people need to pause and do a little extra legwork. Because when one of these expensive cards, like Misha's Workshop showed up on indexes this week, like like going up to $5,000. And it's like, no, it didn't. That That's just the, the, uh-huh. the price posted by the last person standing on 
on TCG Player, just like Travis is the last person standing selling Masterpiece Invention Soul Ring on TCG Player and, oh, yeah. and gets to set, set the price. So, Oh, yeah. You're lucky it's only 550 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what is Moat really worth? You need to go check out the Facebook high-end group. You need to check out eBay Last Souls. You need to poke around with some of the mid-tier vendors and see if you can get a deal. You know, hit people like DJ or, or uh, Corbin up on, or Tales of Adventure up on twitter and whatever and poke around you definitely don't want to be paying the last person standing price on tcg on anything so take it with all with a grain of salt when you see this kind of movement even if this is in fact a a nostalgia heavy you know tier two or three i guess tier two reserve list card that you know it's never may never see another printing but there's no specific impetus to move this up other than that the reserve list has been targeted heavily all summer Sorry, I had to finish my yawn. Yeah, and Moat's also even more complicated because there's a little bit of play pattern on this card from the old school and maybe cube crowds, but primarily it's going to have like collector's appeal. So very good condition versions of this card could probably be considerably more than like a moderately played one because the market for moderately played is way smaller than just the collector's. Um, and, but it's not power. So yeah, any of these types of very expensive cards, it becomes a little more nebulous, right? Sure. All right. So moving right along here, we've got Gauntlet of Power, Masterpiece Invention, uh, going from in theory, 85 to 130. I did sell one of these close to hundred this week. So, you know, the push on the draining inventions that we've referenced to the, within the last couple of weeks is real. You know, people are just pinging those off. There is a slight tingle in the back of my, my skull that, Kaldheim might have Masterpiece Inventions Part 2, but I don't have any real good reason for that. Um, I guess the only thing that that led me to that query was all of the Equipment Matters stuff that they sprinkled around in Zendikar Rising when there's no real payoff. leaves. Yeah, but we thought that might be a payoff for the D&D set. Sure, and, and that's still possible. Uh, it just leaves me wondering, you know, whether it's Kaldheim or the D&D set or the set next fall. Like, we could easily be back to Mirrodin because Karn still has to go back and and clean up Mirrodin. Um, or there could be a fire extinct invasion on a fresh plane. That could easily be fall set 2021. Uh, oh, wait. No, it can't because we know what that is. It's the two Innistrad sets. So I was going to say, don't we know what next Yeah, so, is? I mean, it could show up winter 2022 that would be the first slot we don't know about um something just tells me we're getting i think we're going to get inventions again within 18 months and then the question becomes how many of them are overlapping the interesting thing about the artifacts is that there's a lot more of them to choose from including a bunch of new ones since the original uh invention printing that will Mm -hmm. that wizards doesn't need to overlap them as much so you might only end up with, say, 10 or 15 overlapping inventions, whereas we had, you know, the full set of, well, I guess we have 30 expeditions in Expedition 2, and overlapping is 15? All the fetches, the 5 BFC lands, anything I'm missing? I guess there was a few of the utility lands that, like, Celestial Colonnade didn't have an expedition the first time but got a uma box topper 
I don't know. It, it could be roughly the same, like 10 to 15 reprints similar to Expeditions 2. Um, I, I, but I, I, I could... God. My long-winded point is that Gauntlet of Power could easily not not be in that list. And so it's it will continue to climb up 120, 130, 140, 150. Yeah, if I'm Wizards, I th- my gut reaction is that there are... A, I'm much more likely to put reprints in the Expedition the rerun of Expeditions than I am a rerun of Adventures. I agree. I, there's things, there's so many other like fresh things, right? And, like there's Arcane Signet right. is going to get one for sure next time. Alahamret's right. Archive could get one. You've got Panharmonicon. You've got... Um, Bol- that, that thing that makes all that mana that I like and that artifact that you think is good that I don't like. <laughs> Bolus's Citadel could probably end up in there, like get, get some colored artifacts going in the inventions. Yeah, and a Gauntlet of Power seems like they would not bother. Nope, I agree. So Admonition Angel from World Wake, in theory, went from 7 to $12, just regular copies. But the problem there is that news is probably predates the announcement 48 hours ago or so that uh, there's a new secret layer with a Zendikar theme, and it includes Zulaport Cutthroat, Admonition Angel, Art's Amazing on the Angel, and it's getting a foil and non-foil treatment, I think, at $30 and $40, respectively, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, if you picked up Angels on Jason's uh, advice, he was right that the Angel is relevant for the four-color Omnath, but he didn't foresee that there was going to be a secret layer reprinting, so that will certainly uh, create some drag on the original versions of the card, especially given how great that new art looks. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you like the new secret layer? Um. I like the art on the secret layer, and I think it's a fine theme. I also think that these kind of um, piles of okay cards that are thematically relevant for what's going on currently in the product mix is a fine place for secret layers to rest. I think if secret layers are pure staples all the time, then they're going to run out of premium options pretty fast. Yeah, it does seem, and I think we had that discussion initially, was like, we didn't know how many they were going to do, but their initial slate of secret layers was like six. And we're like, if these are supposed to be all good all the time, what are you going to do? You can't support that many reprints. But these seem have so far seem to be like one-ish good card per pack. Maybe. Well, this one's good to vendors in a card. One, of the, th- which is one of the things that's going on here is that they don't really have a good outlet given the current product mix for fancy versions of commons and uncommons because in collector boosters extended arts are only rares and mythics and for things like expeditions or box toppers you saw what people were saying about uh even the showcase uh like foil cultivates in core 21 people were bitching that that was a common and with the box toppers the urza's lands being included people were bitching the day that was announced so heaven forbid, uh, you know, extended arts or masterpiece series include commons and uncommons, which leaves them with no real good place to fool around with those other than secret layer, which is perfect because you can do stuff like blood art, Esther Zulaport, cutthroat, give people some really cool art. You can throw out some cat and dog nonsense. You can do tattoo designs. You know, you can go do all sorts of wacky stuff and... You know, people get to play this little game of 
Is the secret layer so popular that the cards are never going to get anywhere, or is it so bad that nobody will buy it so I should, because then the people with no taste will buy it after the fact because they forgot about it, and I'll get to flip it for double? And there's also the lingering question of what the replacement will be for the stained glass planeswalkers, and you know whether that will show up in this latest version, because... For instance, if they replace them with a non-foil uh, Zendikar expedition for orders over for people that get the full bundle, or orders over a hundred or over two hundred or something, then the value gets a lot better instantly. Aren't I mean? Aren't the non-foil Zendikar expeditions like twenty bucks? Mm, nope. There, I was actually just okay. running through our the single sale we're running tomorrow, so I can tell you exactly what all of those cards are worth. I have yeah. them. Uh, for some reason, I thought like the fetches were like twenty. So, so name name a. But I could be conflating a couple days. Name points. a card, and I'll tell you what it's worth currently. Oh, uh, Bloodstained Mire Showcase non foil forty five dollars on TCG Player currently. All right, so they're all floating in the forty to fifty dollars range, and I fully expect those to get pushed down into the twenty-five to thirty dollars range, which is why our group buy um, is structured around that. Like we have maybe that's what I was thinking. We about. have a singles buy that we already ran, and another one that's running tomorrow that will have those, you know, the good non-foil expeditions in the mid twenties kind of thing. Um, looks like something like i think the real bargains given that this stuff is getting sourced from europe are in the foil expedition battle bond lands that we are going to be selling for give you an example morphic pool expedition foils currently 81 dollars on tcg player our price tomorrow 35 dollars <laughs> should go look at that list <laughs> yeah be, being, um, being a pro trader lately is kind of ridiculous value Although I am pretty deep on pack foil battle bond lands at the moment. Uh, Somebody was asking me about that in the Discord earlier too. Like, what kind of drag do the expeditions create? I think it does create drag for sure. Yeah. But in the same way that Masterpiece uh, Mana Crypt shrugged off the foil box topper version, and I'm willing to bet Masterpiece Soul Ring will do the same thing when we inevitably get a fancy soul ring in the near future we're getting one already in commander legends green oddly enough <laughs> so weird yeah. yeah i don't i don't think it crushes the price it just makes it a little harder it slows the slows the acceleration basically. just probably yeah it, and it also slows the just the frequency of sale because you know some some yeah. major percentage of the buyers will be focused on the the latest and greatest um others will prefer the original printing foil there are people out there that care about that and there's also just collectors who just need a copy of everything regardless like people like my dad don't are just buying whatever they're currently missing right you should point your dad to my tcg players (laughs) (laughs) i I already get like probably at least two messages a month from pro traders bragging that they sold my dad something really (laughs) totally they're like how oh because his his name come up as yeah like dr james chilcott so like okay. it it fifty fifty coin flip whether they will know about my dad and point that out or they will think it's like some cool pseudonym I'm running to try to throw people off. Ah uh, yes, uh, my name is James Chilcott and my pseudonym <laughs> when buying online is Doctor. You'll James never Chilcott. know it's, it's me. A genius strategy. <laughs> no. So well, it can't be him. He wouldn't be dumb enough to do that. <laughs> so yet yeah, non foil expeditions should come down. Now there is this wrinkle 
going on because Wizards has announced as of last week that there are going to be supply chain issues with uh, a variety of Zendikar Ryzen products up front. So that makes things a little more interesting because if, for instance, the collector boosters are very hard to come by early on, then the market will inevitably be illogical, and instead of waiting patiently to buy them at a lower price, they will push the price up into the 240 to 260 range pretty quickly, and then it will be a question of whether you know subsequent waves uh, of additional product filter into the market and push the price back down, and when does that happen? Because if you front load a lot of the product, and it's very common and, and easy to open, you know, everybody gets what they or pre-ordered. Then you get the race to the bottom very intensely on opening weekend. But if it's spread out, you know, say 25% of the first 60% of, it, of Zendikar Rising product, call that 15% per, you know, quarter uh, of wave one, is staggered a few weeks at a time, then prices could hold up a lot better because they're just under a completely different set of market forces. So it's hard to predict how low this stuff is going to go. We're, we're just trying to think worst case scenario, how low can related singles get in this set and structure our group buys accordingly so that everybody's getting, if not the very lowest possible price, very close to it. That's, that's certainly what you'd need out of yeah. that. Um, all right, so keeping on with this list here, Amiria's Call slash slash Amiria Shattered Skyclave is the white uh, mythic flip land, and it was as low as $7 on TCG Player. People snapped a bunch of copies off, and now it's sitting around at 14 Now, keep in mind, most of the inventory has not filled in. That will happen over the next 10 days or so. But it is worth noting that people have started kind of question mark, question mark on these flip mythic lands, and I think folks are starting to warm up to them. Uh, the way I see it is that we're, if they even have a marginal amount of utility, in EDH minimum, they will fit in so many decks that given enough time, they will be slow, steady gainers. And if Paper Play either comes back with a vengeance everywhere, or at least outside of uh, the US, then these do get a full two years in standard. I mean, they, they won't rotate out until the fall of 2023, so they could be good pickups. One thing I would point out, though, is that ancillary products have been increasingly aggressive the last several years, so I could easily see something like a Challenger deck if Wizards deigns to print those in 2021, including one or two copies of some of these Mythic Lands as throw-ins. And if that's true, and the Challenger decks were printed at sufficient volume, they could drive the price back down after any gains they might make early on. So I think I'm sticking to the foil extended arts on these for the most part, uh, because I expect those to drain out very reliably. Uh, the foil extended arts are probably the only ones that I would be interested in on any of these. Um, I am, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, less sold on them than other people um i think a lot of their appeal would be competitive but they can and i don't i don't doubt that they would be quite good there but the problem is i'm i'm just not on board with them in a casual or like edh setting yet the extended art foils are always tempting 
early on, um, but that would be the only treatment of the card I would probably be considering because I would be, yeah, even then, I'm still not super excited about these. To me, these have the issue of I'm unsure about them and there's always a better way to, like there's always another way to spend my money and I'm just gonna choose the other way that I'm more comfortable with than taking a risk on these because I don't need to take a risk on them. Sure. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. So Ashaya, Soul of the Wild, uh, went from, in a similar fashion, also a mythic from Zendikar Rising, also went from 7 or 8 bucks up to about 20 currently on TCG. That's a pre-order pump. It's going to retrace. We tried to find the bottom on it uh, in our group buy. We, we've got the, let's put it this way. For the same price that TCG would currently pre-sell you a non-foil copy, we can sell you a foil showcase. <laughs> Sorry, a foil extended art uh, version of Ashaya. That's a foil extended art mythic for, looks like it's going to be $21 in our group buy tomorrow. Um, this is the thing that turns all your creatures into lands, which makes you highly susceptible to board wipe. <laughs> but presumably you've got some way to combo off around that. Somebody pointed out it protects you from... Protects you from something. Well, anything that, that anything kills non-land. Destroys, like, non-land. Yeah. Yeah. If it says, like, destroy all non-land permanents or whatever, then your creatures live. Yeah. So that's cute. Which is... Um, I, I, I mean, these are just pre-orders. I don't know what to tell you to do with them other than if you can buy them for... If you can buy showcase foils for the price of the pack non-foils and that seems like a good choice (laughs) i mean beyond one one of a million reasons to come check out pro trader don't play don't pay pre-order pricing on mythics right uh cloak cloak Uh, and dagger from morning tide foils going from 325 to 9 this is a rogue specific piece of equipment there's lots of rogue hype right now if you're running a rogue deck in commander you probably slot this in there No, no big thing yeah Sentinel Druid out of Antiquities. Um, so th- this one and the next one together here. Sentinel Druid out of Antiquities. Non-foils 6 to 18. And Baron Sengir, the original guy from Homelands, uh, $1.50 to 8. Both of these are reserveless cards. Baron Sengir makes some amount of sense. We're getting a, we're getting a new eight. version in Commander Legends. Right, and he he's a named character. We get are getting a new print. He's always been sort of a an in, people a character people are interested in knowing more about. Um, so I understand his move. Sentinel Druid, I understand less. Well, I mean, this is all the the list of reserveless cards that moved this week was something like thirty or forty. I just listed two. Uh, They're all the same thing. It's all a bunch of nonsense. People just buying up reserve lists because they they think they can get away with it in the current circumstances. The uh there was somebody that poked medina this week and medina tweeted the dm they sent him where they were like hey do you want to buy out sentinel druid with me and medina tweeted like hard pass or whatever and everybody laughed (laughs) it's not that mtg finance is involved in this nonsense it's people that think they're doing mtg finance but are actually doing something else that drives him to this. It's not like we ever claimed nobody tries to buy out cards. It's just that nobody smart tries to buy out cards. Yeah, I think that's a fair distinction as it's 
it's you have to you have to know less to think that's a good strategy. The more you learn, the more you realize that not only is that unlikely to work, uh, there are other tried and true proven strategies that carry way less risk than and, and carry less ethical challenges. The yeah, the simplest. Don't get me wrong. Don't wait. Don't get me wrong. The idea of a buyout like that, there is temptation. I understand it. Like, wow, I can go and clean, you know, spend a thousand dollars. I don't have to do any extra. I don't have to figure anything out. There is a card on the reserve list. There won't be more copies. It will cost me this much money to make sure there are no copies left. I own most of them. I get to set the price. I don't have to worry about reprints. I don't have to worry about how good this card is in EDH or modern. I don't have to worry about any of that crap, right? Like I get, I only have to care about one factor. So I understand the appeal. And if it worked, uh, this would be a different scenario, but we ju- we know that it's not that effective. But, uh, and you'll, and so it's just like- Well, and you say one factor, but that's not actually true. Like for instance, in the case of Baron Sen Gear, you would want to be aware that in Homelands, the print run was absolutely massive. And way, way more than, say, Antiquities with Sentinel Druid. So Homelands, Barons, and Gears, I guarantee you, are sitting in the hundreds of thousands in binders all over North America. And if you push the card up high enough and it gets discussed on casts like this and in other places, people will try to buy list them. And they will run into a buy list that is not friendly to the card. And some of them will ship them in anyway. And they will just push the buy list even further down. You're, you're just not going to run into with your Baron Send Gears any opportunity to unload a thousand dollars worth of this card anywhere. Like if if you buy thirty uh, of them and then sell into a, a very brief hype cycle, you might unload three or four at double or triple what you paid, and then you're just stuck with the rest forever. Yeah, I don't mean that there are I, I mean that once you have looked at the total number of copies available in the cost you determine how much it is for you to purchase all of them and you can choose to do that or not. There aren't complicating factors beyond that. What is the total supply and what is the total cost? Like you don't have to worry about the reprints. You don't have to worry about whether it's going to be good, what, you know, any of that type of stuff. Well, I mean, I, it's a a much smaller, it's a much smaller field of of things. In theory, it's a smaller decision matrix, but I, I would again advise that you do consider whether the card's good because you could make the argument that Baron Send Gear, it's a heavy vampire year this year. Like Send Gear will see play. No, it won't. The card's terribly inefficient and it doesn't have a really sweet like ability that interfaces with a bunch of the other vampires. So it's not going to see play and it's relatively, it's relatively populous out there in the world doesn't show up on buy lists all that often anymore, I would imagine. But, again, the, the, the demand profile is just not there to justify going after it. Um, so anyway, as per usual, the stuff with the biggest pumps is usually the stuff with the most nonsense behind it. Moving on over to the top Magic Online movers. Elvish Reclaimer uh, showed up on the list. Uh, looks like we're missing a stat there, but I'm assuming that's on the back of the modern green-white lands deck running this as a four of. Field of the Dead, of course, showed up in multiple lists in these uh, Pioneer and Modern tournaments. In theory, going from 23 to 35 on Magic Online for about 53% gains. I'm sure plenty of people in the Magic Online uh, channel on the Pro Trader Discord uh, made some money there. Once upon a time, out of Throne of Eldraine, going from $1.18 to 208, 
90 cents uh, per copy, but that's 76% gains. I have no idea what's driving that movement. Maybe it fell out of the treasure chest this week or something. Your guess is as good as mine. The reason that you're missing your uh, Elvish Reclaimer information is because that was right when I got handed a child in a bottle. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. So I missed, missed the last two values. <laughs> uh, Soul Guide Lantern out of uh, Theros Beyond Death, 15 cents to 29. That shows up in sideboards and Pioneer all over the place. Um, Chandra's Incinerator, uh, 47 cents to $1.29. Um, must be showing up in uh, some red lists. Uh, either in Standard or Pioneer, uh, would be my guess. And then light up the stage out of uh, Ravnica Allegiance from $0.04 cents to $0.43, cents, 975% gains. Whew. You got, if, you've been, if you drafted a lot of Ravnica Allegiance, you might want to go unload some of these to buy lists and uh, get yourself a free draft. That is pretty nice. I mean, it's you know, it's a $0.40 cent increase, which is like whatever... But if you've got a pile of them from drafting yep. a lot and you could dump them all to a bot, it's like, whew. Yep. Can't complain about that. All right, so moving on over to our cards to watch this week. we got a pretty solid list going here. How about my first pick? Yorion Sky Nomad, Foil Extended Art. This is, of course, out of Ikoria from uh, May of this year. You can currently get the foil extended arts around 13 bucks in the U.S., and I could easily see these hitting 25 or 30 within the year on the back of solid competitive play. Uh, it shows up in both Pioneer and Modern. One of the only um, companions to survive the uh, downgrade to their rules. And Between this and Luris, you've got a couple of companions worth looking at. It's also got re relatively decent EDH support. I think it shows up in 12 or 1400 decks or something on EDH rack between being a commander and being in the 99. And trust me, companions are not going to catch a reprint for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just looked at the two Yorion decks that showed up in Pioneer earlier, and Yorion definitely feels like one of the best companions uh, from a long-term perspective, the type of card that will still be seen play several months from now, as opposed to some of the other companions, which seemed like they fell off a lot harder after the companion rules changes. But $13, $13 for the extended art foil Yorions? I mean, that's that's a damn good price, I feel like. Yeah, and... Like, right, like, that's that's that's... We're not. That's not twenty five or thirty dollars. Where you're like, I wonder if this can hit fifty or sixty. Thirteen bucks. I mean, like, that does not seem like a lot of money at all. And, and this could easily jump to twenty five or thirty dollars. And the ramp's already like telling the story. You, you only need about forty or fifty copies to get uh, purchased, you know, across North America before you're going to be looking at a eighteen dollar price point, and then it's just going to keep sliding up from there, because. Vendors, when vendors start to see inventory get narrow, they don't feel the need to undercut each other anymore, and they start posting prices that are two bucks above <laughs> the price below them. Mm-hmm. No, I think this is a, a good a good angle because you get some decent EDH support, and you also get um, potential competitive play. Wait, not even potential. We know there's competitive play available here, and it has got an effect. The blink effect that is very 
has very broad synergy. Which is just going to just keep printing comes into play abilities that make this more and more interesting. The only thing I will say counter to this card is that it's not run as a four of typically. Like the 100 card Yorion decks in competitive are typically just running the one in the, in the sideboard. But because they're just running the one, they might want to have a sexy one. And between that and commander, solid play pattern. And really, this is just a supply side play where I can see where this is headed in three to six months and it's going to drain out. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is well positioned. I like your ampers. I would not have thought this card was $13 if you'd asked. I would have guessed 25 before I looked at it. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to start off with uh, two of the Triomes. And I looked through and saw that you guys talked about um non you talked about the showcase triome non-foils about six weeks ago uh you and jason actually and you put them down as going from five to twelve and it looked like that was had to do with japan um they are the non-foils are about 10 to 12 bucks right now so if you paid five dollars for them that worked out well for you i'm looking a little differently i like the specifically the the um, Simic and Teamer ones, but possibly some of the other ones too. The foil showcases. Um, the Ketri and Zagoth are floating around $25 right now. And these have several factors that are appealing to me. The first is Ketria, the Simic, is uh, not Simic, sorry, uh, Saltai, is a top 25 land in Commander. Um, and that 25 includes the five basics. So really, it's a top 20 land, which I was pretty surprised by. I did not think they'd be that high already. Um, so there's definitely appeal with these in that format. Uh, and I don't see that change. And then, like, they might print other lands that EDH likes more, but these are always going to be a popular choice in that format, especially in three and four color decks that really want their lands to do some work for them. Uh, it's also reasonably confident in saying that the Ikoria showcase cards are the best premium cards they've made. Like in terms of appearance, I don't think I could pick one that looks cooler. Um, and I think that there was, a, I'm not too far off base with the most of magic players in that statement. These look fantastic. They really do. They knocked out of the park. Uh, so you have cards that just are super sweet looking uh, very popular, and these showcase foils are at 25 bucks. You know, I don't have a great sense of the distribution of these, and you might be a little more tuned into that than I am. But my initial reaction would be that there's probably fewer of these out there than I would expect, right? Because when did I... I might be getting off base here. When did I Coria come out? In May. Yeah, it was this year, yeah. right? Yeah, like in the middle of the pandemic. Correct. Yeah, so that was that's what I thought. So that also seems like it probably is well positions these as well. Is there's just fewer of them got sold than I would guess. So overall, I think that these two, both at twenty five dollars in foils, um, the supply is on uh, is on the deeper side. There's like forty vendors for each of them, which isn't, which is obviously a, a little on the higher side for most of what we talked about. But I think we're probably at roughly the supply glut or close to it. And I think that you're going to see a pretty good drain on these and uh, that should be consistent. Like these will probably look pretty good by this time next year. These are going to be 50 to $60 magic cards for sure. Yeah. 
because they are fetchable trilands. That's like they fit in a bajillion EDH decks. If you're two color, meh. But if you're three, four, or five, yes, for sure. And as you said, art's amazing. It's why we called it in the non-foil versions six weeks ago. That play, as you uh, alluded to, was because Japan had them printed like post so cheaply. Like I was picking up Jap- Japanese foils uh, as low as eighteen, and probably at a closer of an average of twenty to twenty-one for the Japanese foils. And I would expect to get out of those easily over fifty and probably over sixty. Give it a year or whatever and the edh players are just going to chew these up and they do occasionally show up in competitive decks as well i suspect that they will have a more or less permanent home in both pioneer and modern uh onesie twosie here and there and it's interesting one of the things that's worth paying attention to is that there are a lot of archetypes in especially in modern that are running a higher than usual land count and the yorion decks in pioneer are 100 card decks uh, or 80 card decks, right? So they just need more lands, period. So they have some of the lands that might not have made it into a 60 card deck will make it into the expanded lists. And all of that just mean mm-hmm. like increases the value of lands across the board to some small extent. All of which just says to me that I think the Triomes are just a straight up win. I don't see how you could possibly go wrong on these on a two to three year horizon. And it just may end up that the showcases, especially the foils, move a lot faster. Uh, yeah, I always try and for for quite some time, I was being very safe and saying, you know, stuff was on a year to two year horizon. But every time we were doing that, I'd be like, I think this might get there by the end of next year. And then it would be like two months. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm. I'm meeting myself halfway when I say, okay, within a year, and possibly sooner, but we'll see. Smothering Tithe was the card that moved so quickly, so early when people said, ah, just wait, you get this later, get this at rotation. Those people were way out of way out of position <laughs> on that card. Anything that's at that level, like a nine or a ten. Uh, on the EDH scale in terms of its overall utility in the format needs to be discovered early. The Great Henge was another one of those. Like Great Henge was way underpriced in Europe, picked up a whole bunch of various copies, non-foils, foils, foil extended arts, Japanese extended arts, etc. And I'm making money on all of them because it didn't even take a year for those to get there. It was like six months. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. showcases are more common than extended arts. That's always worth flagging. But the Triomes in particular, it doesn't matter because they're just such high utility. The, the demand and play pattern for them is so large that there really isn't anything else in Ikoria that comes close. I mean, probably the closest non-land card is Shark Typhoon, which is just dominating all over the place. Okay, cool. Um What's your next card? So another foil extended art that we have previously called in regular version. I think during pre-order season, I told people to grab cheap fiery emancipations over in Europe uh, at like five or six bucks or whatever. Now I'm looking at the foil extended arts. I think we steered clear of those, calling those early on for Core Twenty for Magic Twenty One because um, there was a higher drop rate for the foil extended arts in the 
Core 21 collector boosters than had been previously available. So for instance, if we go all the way back to Throne of Eldrain, the first set of collector boosters, you basically got three to four per box out of 12 packs. And it looked like in Core 21, you got something like six or seven. Um, and of those, you could expect two or three of them to be Mythics kind of thing. Um, it doesn't look like that's going to matter. It, it looks like the higher drop rate might have been Wizard's way of counterbalancing the fact that a summer set generally undersells. And sure enough, the Fire Emancipation foil extended arts look like they are already setting up a pretty steep ramp. We've got copies in the $25 to $26 range at the low end on TCG for near mint foils. And then it starts to ramp up pretty heavily to 30, then 35, then 40, then 50, etc. This is going to be a $50 foil extended art. I have zero doubt about it. I, I could easily see them reprinting this in an ancillary product in the non-foil regular version come springtime. But I don't think it's going to matter at all for these, obviously, because any deck that wants to be dealing damage to things or even a token or a creature-based strategy is very, very happy to triple the damage that they do. <laughs> I, I was on the, the wrong end of this in a Core 21 draft the other night, and it was very, very ugly. I was easily winning the game. Blue-white flyers against green-red ground pounders, and then they dropped Fire Emancipation, and then I just got absolutely wrecked. Yeah, I... It's not surprising. They've got a board. They've got a board <laughs> full of like two twos and three threes, and then they drop this, and they're doing six, like four to six damage per creature, <laughs> and you can't profitably block anything. Mm-hmm. That seems uh, really quite yeah, good. It was obscene. So to pick these up at twenty five is a no brainer. Yorion is a foil extended art rare, and the you generally only need one for your deck. Fire Emancipation, also probably you only need one. But if this ever becomes, uh, you know, a Pioneer deck for some random reason, which seems like a stretch given where Pioneer is headed in the power level in that format, this would all obviously get a boost. And honestly, it doesn't need it anyway because the breadth of decks that Fire Emancipation addresses compared to Yorion is a couple of factors, you know, multipliers higher, and it's a Mythic, not a Rare. So even though the, the drop rate was higher in this set than it was in Ikoria, the Fire Emancipation is probably even more reliable than the Yorion. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I, this isn't really on my radar, but the card is is awesome, and I think players are going to be drawn to it because it does so much damage. That is sicko mode card. Uh, you know, a little bit, probably more expensive than I would have anticipated but with the potency that it has and the likelihood that i don't know why you would ever see this again like it's gonna be a long while before you see something like this i'm definitely behind this getting a good creep and m21 uh is the type of set is a good set to be looking at right now people are paying no attention to that anymore um with zendikar on the horizon all of these extended art foils at you know twenty to thirty dollars seem so much of that. There seems like there's so much uh, available in that space right now, and this is also but and this is a good one. This is a good one from that grouping. So I, I, I think the ideal foil mythic extended art price is somewhere between eighteen and twenty two dollars. 
That's the most the yeah. most realistic entry point. And if we look at the group by that we're running tomorrow, that's more or less where we're at. Like we've got Ashaya at twenty one. We've got Morog, Furry, Evacum, that really hot showcase art at fifteen bucks when TCG's at forty. We've got all of the foil EA mythic lands in the $21 to $30 range. And I think the ones that are in the high 20s are probably too optimistic on the part of the vendor there. So given what we saw with things like the Great Henge and Nixbloom Ancient and you know, a variety of foil EA mythics this year, I th- and even the um, Elder Gargaroth, like that foil EA mythic is also pushing. So I think this is the, you know, 25 is a couple of bucks more than I want to pay, but I feel especially confident given that it's in the top five cards from that set on EDH rec. It's already in 1800 decks and it's going to be in six to 8,000, I would guess within the year. Well, that's the, the key factor here is that it's already shown that it's quite popular and that it's powerful. So that gives, you know, if, if you're, there's some trepidation over the initial cost. You can feel more assured by the fact that it's the popularity has been proven. Yep. I mean, it just triples things. Next Blue Mansion, Fire Emancipation, they're like two sides of the same coin. Very showcase-friendly cardboard uh, for when people are shopping in their LGS. Yeah, and I, I do very much like the um, cards that are permanent. I tend to edge in that direction a little bit because they sit there and look cool instead of being cool and then going to your graveyard. Sure. I think there's some value in that. If you're, for the for the EV minded player, yeah, you get more eyeball time, more, more bling for your buck. Permanence, yeah. All right, so I'm going to move on to my next card, which is uh, Windfall Foils out of a. Uh, iconic masters and i thought for sure that we had talked about this but i don't see any record of it in this spreadsheet so if we did talk about it it was in 2019 uh so that's possibility i didn't go digging that far but it's been a while since we brought it up but the foils for iconic masters are the only foils of windfall out of eight printings Winf eight printings the only foil Windfall is the 11th most played blue card in EDH. 11. This is the the only foil. It's the 11th most played. It already jumped to... It's currently about 11 to $12. It jumped to 20 bucks early this spring, but has since retraced. And now there are something like... Oh, I, oh wait. No, I still have it here. There are 20 vendors that have copies of this for, by the looks of it, uh, if there are 20 vendors, there are probably 30 to 40 foil copies. Um, you could snag them at 11 and 12. They hit 15 by the time you get to about 12, 15 copies. But it's still... Yeah, yeah. I, I Honestly, I'm shocked that it's 12 bucks. Like, I'm genuinely surprised that this card is this cheap. It is so popular. And not just, like, in all of EDH history. Like, it is popular today. Like, it still gets used. So... I don't know. This this just seems like nuts how cheap this is to me. I and mean, was it uncommon, which so it would have slowed the ascent of the card because there was enough out there. But we're far enough away at this point that that shouldn't really matter. We know how many copies are out there. We know that there aren't any more. I, I just the numbers all line up here for me. So twelve bucks. Buy these at twelve bucks. You'll sell them at twenty to twenty. It just needs to fade a reprint, and and, and that's 
the whole story. This could show up in a secret layer. This could show up in Commander Legends. It doesn't have any specific impetus to do either. So there are hundreds of other cards in the same boat. It could show up in something. For all I know, it's in the list. Like, I haven't memorized the list yet. <laughs> so if you told me Windfall oh, yeah. was in there, I would believe you. Um, so I, I, I really quick, though, is that in... Is the list foil? No. So does these these cards are only non-foil. Yep. Okay. Uh, it is not in the list. So you're probably you're probably if you fade Commander Legends, there's nothing else on the horizon out of the known product mix for 2021 that looks like it will contain a windfall. It might be in Modern Horizons too. But again. I mean, it's not it's not legal in modern right now. So so that so would be that a... seems unlikely as well. So yeah, it it, yeah. it could fade all of twenty twenty one. In which case, yeah, this will this will eventually drain out. Yeah, it's 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 always had the oh, it could get reprinted anywhere, but it doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't get reprinted. So I yeah, I I'm just I'm just very surprised that it's as cheap as it is. So, uh, I think it is worth your money. All right. My final pick of the week is the Foil Showcase Flip Lands. If you like the Triome showcases, you can probably find a pretty decent reason to be looking at River Glide Pathway as potentially the most important of the Flip Lands coming out of Zendikar Rising. Now, the challenge with these lands is the EV is going to get chomp, chomp, chomped by the expeditions. And a lot of stuff common wisdom would uh, tell you is going to be cheaper than it otherwise would be as a result. So how low are these going to get? Currently in the U.S. they're asking $20 plus for something. I think in Europe, right as it was announced and the first major vendor in Europe to list them on card market, I picked them up at 8 bucks a piece. Um, I think that's a very good en entry point because I expect these to end up being 20 to 25, say, a year out. Currently on MCM, the lowest price is 15 euros, so that's almost 20. So this isn't a call about where you can go buy these right now. This is a call to watch out for these to get down into the 10 to $12 range, either in Europe or the U.S., and then go ahead and buy some. This is the River Glide Pathway is the one that is blue-red on both sides. Uh, and then there's another one. Let me just see what the name of this one is. I think the one with the absolute best art is the blue-black one, uh, which is Clear Water Pathway slash slash Merc Water Pathway. It has an absolutely stunning panoramic of a winding river seen from way up high with a... With a a uh, solar glow um, throughout the image and that blue black one you know non-green duels are especially potent in commander and i think clear water yeah blue black and blue red seem like very solid targets to me so this is a Keep an eye out over the next course of the next month and find your entry point because I just can't see how between EDH and competitive play, even if it's just a smattering of competitive play, these don't end up getting there down the road. These are, um, yeah, I, 
I'm thinking. I am going to have to cut a bunch of silence out of this because I'm pausing in between to collect my thoughts. I like the idea of this. I like everything about this, except I don't think the cards are good. It's, it's it's like I totally get all of the strategy here. I'm not convinced that these duels are good. That's my challenge. Pick, picture your... And I, I'm not giving you a hard time about it. It's just this is what I'm struggling with. I, I will give you this much. They are not true duels because you cannot pick two different colors over the course of multiple turns. So anyone who evaluates them as though they are analogous to, say revised duels has got it wrong revised duels let you pick either color any turn these you pick the color you need on the way in however in a world where you have battle bond lands and we're getting the missing five in commander legends and you've got triomes and you've got duels and shocks and fetches and whatever these really slot well into two color plus decks in edh because often you know, the other night I was playing Atraxa against some of the staff and and one of the members, and I I would have loved this card on turn four or five because I just, I needed, I was missing white. I had tons of blue, tons of black, tons of green between all the, the lands I had out there, but it was just missing the one color. And I think that's relatively common depending on, you know, when you have a mixed land base that sometimes you just can't find the missing color and you draw this and it comes into play it only makes one color but it's the same thing as drawing a card that says you can fetch up a island or a swamp and it comes into play on tap and you can use it immediately which is a good card um and the art on these is gorgeous i was wrong about the price on tcg player it's not 20 dollars pre-order the lowest price on tcg right now is 57 for clearwater pathway foil showcase uh, worth pointing out that these exist in multiple languages because they are in regular booster boxes in the showcase slot. So there are foil Russian versions of this I'm going to have to try to get my hands on. We actually we actually got an offer from a vendor that we posted to the Pro Traders today for I think it was $630 case, Russian cases of Zendikar Rising, which would give you access to both Russian foil versions of the Pathways as well as Russian Expedition non-foils. First time we've ever had Masterpiece Expedition premium level cards in Russian. I have to stop and parse that sentence. <laughs> so it'd be like getting the inventions in Russian. Non-foil, though. Non-foil. Do they not do, do they not do foils on the foreign languages? Well, it's, it's that there's no collector boosters, and you can only get foil expeditions in the collector boosters. So... Okay, okay. So we get Japanese collector boosters this time, Chinese, German for the first time, French, I believe, and English. So we are also ordering, you know, some of the collectors and, uh, you know, higher rollers in the group are ordering German cases of collector boosters because that would give you German foils. Expedition Scalding Tarns and so forth, which are not quite as sexy as Japanese or Russian, mind you, but seeing as how there are no foil Russians, the non-foil Russians will be the best of the non-foil options. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to the path, back to the I, I, pathways. I, I just can't see how these aren't going to see play. 
10 to $12 on the foil versions, given how lovely they are. And here's another point that a lot of people probably haven't crocked yet. They're foil on both sides. So hmm. they don't curl because they have equal pressure mm-hmm. on both sides. Same, Us. <laughs> same as the Ixalan flip foil stuff like Growing Rights of Illamok. Those things never never curl either. Um, so we're talking about, just to be clear, the like the river glide pathway borderless foil foil yeah. right okay so it's got like the shrunken text box and the art goes all the way out to the yep. edge i think all of the mechanics are in place i'm just not sold on the cards is the is is my and this goes this isn't just this card and this tracks with what i've talked about in some of the other in the other episode is i think and you know what it was? I had a buddy who plays a lot of competitive magic and um, has done very well over and we were chatting about these and it's like they're, they're we, we, we talked about it. We're like, these are better than like evolving wilds, but worse than a lot of other lands. It's like better than evolving wilds, but worse than pretty much everything else. Well, and say for instance, in uh, modern Kaladesh, are they fast lands? What do we call the Kaladesh lands? I can't even remember. Um, uh, Kal- those are fast lands. Yeah, if they're if they're fr- if they're the other half of the scars and mirrored in cycle, right? So I mean, the the ones that let you they come into play untapped until you have X number of lands in play are clearly better mm-hmm. because you get access to both colors. So this is these are definitely mm-hmm. a step behind. And I don't think they even remotely challenge for top eight cycles in EDH. And yet, they will see play. Because when you're building land bases for EDH, if you've got a sexy foil showcase like this, it's going to get in on aesthetics. Hmm. Well, I, I, I mean, I have definitely put cards in my decks that are worse than the alternatives because I had a cool version well, of it. Not, no, well, no and the other thing is that in, in Commander, you can only play one of each. So it's not like you get to run four Spire Bluff Canal before you run your first pathway. You're just going to play all the duels. And there aren't that many yet. So they're, they're, they're showing reasonable reported play on EDH Rec. Time will tell. If you the the good part here is you're going to get more data before you're going to get the price I'm suggesting. So two, three, four weeks from now, when EDH Rec has updated data and you've gotten to see if they're they're what the 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 pros are doing on Magic Online with them, then you're going to have the full picture, and you'll see where we end up on the spectrum between where I think we're going to be and where Travis thinks we might be, and then you can act on this tip or not if it doesn't show the kind of play patterns i'm predicting then by all means ignore them because what's going to happen then is they're going to get really really cheap and if they get cheap enough (laughs) then i will probably get tempted to pick the pick a few more up um i i cannot see how these don't end up being 20 dollars plus for the color pairings that make the most sense in commander but you got a little bit of time to figure it out what 
you know, if you're you know if you're getting them at the showcase foils at ten to twelve dollars, I mean that's cheap enough that you have no no worries. Like, I mean that's just so cheap for a land that some people will play, right? Like EDH does have cards played that are like genuinely bad choices, but people still play them um, for what you know for a variety of reasons. So I don't doubt that these will make it in some number of decks. Uh, and if you're buying at that pr price, then you're you're at the floor, right? You have no risk. Um, so I don't have a con I don't have a contest with your twelve dollar price point, assuming you can get them at that price. I guess I'm just looking at this as a larger picture, and I think all the mechanics around your decision are absolutely correct. And if this was a different land cycle in this set, I'd be like, "Yep, this is excellent." I just I'm not sold on these, and you know I. We we it's 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 rare that we disagree with each other on picks, so I don't feel too bad. So, <laughs> but I can't shake. I can't. It's hard. It's like I said. I'm looking at evolving wilds. Right, evolving wilds is comes into play untapped. You sack it. You fetch a basic, and that basic comes into play tapped. So evolving wilds on turn one does your land does come in. Your land comes to play tapped all the time, whereas these don't. But Evolving Wilds gets you two landfall triggers. It gets you uh, a shuffle. It gets you, you can choose the color later on if you need to. And it gets you basics, which are better than non-basics pretty much across the board. Like it's, it's not to say that Evolving Wilds is better, but I think when you start to compare these cards to Evolving Wilds, it's closer than you might think, especially for a rare. Well, I think you have to look at Fabled Passage, right? Because that's the one that goes. Oh, is that the Fabled other Passage one? goes and gets any basic, and if you have four or more lands, they come into play untapped. So Fabled Passage can that's get. It. Say you're in a two-color deck. A Fabled Passage and a Clearwater Pathway are roughly analogous. Yeah. And people play lots of Fabled Passage. Yeah. However, I, I I've got a different stake I can drive into my own heart. Why don't we look at it from this angle? Temple of Epiphany, for instance, and this is true of most of the Scrylands are in 20,000-plus reported decks on EDH Rec. They just got their first premium printing in Core 21, and those things are dead cheap. So you can get Temple of Epiphany Extended Art Foils, which are, by the way, gorgeous. I have some. Uh, for $3 on TCG Player. Three fifty for Foil Extended Art Foils? And so now, okay, that's that should be your pick. <laughs> that I like a lot more. Well, the point I'm making is if Temple of Epiphany, which is a proven duel, extended or foils can get down to three bucks, then maybe you don't need to be chasing showcase foil duels that are probably at best about as good as. I mean, the scry versus the untapped and the, the getting both colors. Eh. I mean, I think you could make the argument that the Skylands are better. And if that's the case, and the extended art foils, which are rarer than the showcase foils, uh, yeah, that's probably true, um, are uh, only three bucks, then by all means, wait wait, and see what happens in four weeks. I, I mean, the temples are kind of far down the land page. There's plenty of stuff that gets picked first. But they're still not bad. I mean, so Temple of Mystery and Temple of Silence are... Temple of Mystery, the Simic one, is in about just over 500 decks. For comparison, the highest breeding pool is the highest played 
Um, this is within the past week, mind you, but this just gives you a frame of reference. Breeding pool is another Simic, is the highest played Simic land at 1400. So the temples are a little better, roughly about a third as third as popular, third to half as popular as the best duel of their color type. Uh, Temple of Epiphany foil showcase is 350. Like that seems real good. I mean, Temple of Epiphany is in 23,000 decks. Yep. I mean, even and if they're... Now there's 50 or 60 vendors. 10% is popular. There's, there's 50 or 60 vendors. We are at Peak Supply and they reprint temples feels like every other day. So, and the thing is that we get collector boosters for every set these, these days. So when and if they reprint the temples again, you might get EAs again. This... This was this was Theros. Yeah. Was, this was Temple of Epiphany specifically. Yeah. It was, well, it was Theros Block, yeah. right? Theros Block, then M twenty, then M twenty one. Those are the. Re- I mean, well, we got the, we got five of, in Theros Beyond reprints. Death, and we and we got five in Core twenty one. Well, sure, sure, but I, my point being that this card was printed in Theros Block, had no reprints, then got reprinted in two core sets back to back. But that it's not like this was reprinted every year for four years running, or or you know reprinted five times in seven years type of thing. Like it got and now it got all of its prints in in two years back to back. And you're right, the supply is high. But I mean, M twenty one was three months ago, and nobody's buying magic. Like I shouldn't say nobody's buying magic cards. The market is really weird right now. Mm, I mean, three fifty, three fifty. So very rare. That's not hard to, to make a profit on. To follow up on that point, very rarely do we get to look in the rearview mirror at a class of cards that was released in a staggered fashion to see how the first five are doing when deciding whether to grab the next five. The point I'm making is those first five out of Theros Beyond Death, Temple of Malice extended art foils, are going for 7 to $9. And there's only 23 listings left. So if that's the snapshot of where the Temple of Epiphanies are headed in six months, then all the more reason. These could end up being 15 or 20, and if you got in at four, you're going to be laughing. Oh, yeah, because that didn't... Temple of Malice was... Wait, so they printed the... Five of them in Theros. The ally yeah. colors in Theros Biondas and the enemies Correct. and the other ones. Huh, it's kind so of if funky. we look at the one I actually targeted, I think I called it at the time because Temple of Enlightenment shows up in the blue-white control decks as far back as modern. Temple of Enlightenment extended art foils are currently at $10, 10 to $12, and 40 listings left and seem to be ramping towards 20 So yeah, that, that epiphany could easily be another honorary pick this week. Yeah, well, I, yeah, and I just look at this and think these are they they're they're not they're not going to be forty dollar cards, but like three dollars, four dollars is so cheap for a card that looks cool. Because if I'm if I'm buying stuff like this, and I, you know I'm I just put together a new a list for a new commander deck. All right, I got to go buy the cards I'm missing. Oh, I, I have a river glide pathway in here. Oh yeah, the foils are thirty-five bucks. Eh. Uh, well, don't get me wrong, thirty-five dollars is a profit on your buying on a buying a twelve or or even really twenty. But it's like twenty dollars for the for the show, foil showcase for glides. Eh. Eh. 
350 or like eight bucks so for like the foil show a foil extended art done right like that's just you know the gap is it's just like it's not that many dollars i will i will still give you the seven or eight dollars needed for this card like for for a cool version it just seems much easier i guess it feels like it's within the sort of impulse purchase range of magic cards. there is the price elasticity of magic cards is certainly on a curve and it gets harder and harder to sell cards as they move up the curve the the big reason the vendors are all into the reserve list getting demolished is because they're looking forward to buying lotuses at, at buy list and flipping them a year out right the all right so let's let's move on here we spent a ton of time on the pathways bottom line keep your eye on them i could easily see them go in places uh durzo out of the pro trader members is our uh pro trader pick of the week Yeheni undying partisan stood out to me when people were submitting their options for the week before i'm oh, sorry i'm gonna pause you for just a moment before we go any further we had somebody had a really good name recently but durzo durzo is the bottom half of names that we've had for user picks sorry <laughs> just being mean to the guy for no reason I, I I just you know what I take that back it's growing on me every time I say it out loud Durzo <laughs> you're way more affected by by discord handles than I am doesn't I most of the time they don't hit my radar but every now and then you say oh yeah Durzo's picked I, I just parse them based on whatever hassles have shown up for them that I've had to resolve for them the uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so Yeheni Undying Partisan Ether Revolt Foils he mentioned U.S. pricing close to like eight to ten dollars, but Europe at five dollars is looking real sexy because the ramp in the U.S. is headed for twenty. This is in a ton of EDH decks, sixteen thousand already. It's a vampire-heavy year. This thing has synergies with a bunch of other vampires that deal with plus one plus one counters. For instance, cordial vampire foils are worth keeping an eye on from Modern Horizons. And Yeheni gets to also sees play in token strategies because you can swallow up tokens to give him indestructible, make him bigger and bigger and bigger. As long as you've got uh, tokens on the board, he's basically real hard to get rid of, survives a lot of the board wipes, etc. And this is just the right time for this card. The, the vampire slash number of years since it's seen a reprint. The only thing that gives me any pause and it really doesn't matter that much i don't think is whether this ends up being uh one of the the legends and commander legends that gets the fancy gilded foil gold foil treatment but i think that's pretty unlikely this is much more of a 99 card than it is a command like a deck leader so i'm not worried about a reprint here Yeah, I I actually had to go search the seat sheet because I thought we had talked about this before, but that might have been last year. I think Yehani is surprisingly popular. Um, I, 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 he stands out to me because I remember kind of being struck by him at one point. Um, did you say the he's got $5 from the EU? Did you say these are like 9 bucks in America right now yeah. on TCG? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there you go. Like, if you've got a source in Europe and you're buying them for 5 that seems totally fine. You're already probably just basically paying buy lists at that point. And I also like that you're picking up a very solid card, which I would agree is probably lower on the list of reprint risk. 
Um, and there's no, you know, you're not getting a more premium version of this until we do see a reprint of some sort. So I think all the numbers are in the right place. Uh, I'm on board. I would guess that the most likely reprint is again a secret layer. They'll do a vampire-focused secret layer near the release of Innistrad Vampires for Shurzies. Like it'll be mm-hmm. there'll be a werewolf-themed mm-hmm. one that has like Mayor of Aver- Averbrook or whatever in one side, and the other one will be vampires, and Yehenny could easily end up there. Yeah, and I, but you know we we've seen these. Secret layers generally only have one card that's good. Really, like one and a half cards that's good. And they have a lot of vampires to pick from. So, you know, if they do a five or six card vampire secret layer, the odds of Yehani ending up in it, I feel like, are so low. Yeah. Bottom line, this ramp looks real solid. So, this isn't the kind of thing I want 30 copies of, but two, three, four copies? Sure. He's... Yeah, easy breezy, especially in Europe. But under, I picked up some copies at four fifty or so, like four copies, and that just seems hard to go wrong. Um, I think I I, I picked one, up Japanese foils at four fifty. It looks like one of the better user picks overall. I think okay. I'm comfortable. So Durso gets the twenty five dollar gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. Lucky him. Good pick. And uh, moving right along here, segment four, I'm working on an article that's going to release in the next week. And it's loosely titled so far, and I'm, I think it needs a better title, but currently it's titled 10 Tips to Up Your MTG Finance Game. And these are just stuff that comes up. It's, it's missing, it's missing you, will, you won't believe number yeah, six. It, it <laughs> needs a better title for sure. But this is stuff that just comes up over and over again in conversation after conversation. You know, I, I get hit up 50, 100, 150 times a week for little tidbits of advice here and there where people try to call us out in the Discord and and expose, you know, weak logic or whatever. And that's a good system to be in because you want your ideas to be better smart and are in the pocket doing a lot of the same things so that the best ideas will rise to the top. And over time through a combination of absorbing lessons from other people and, you know, working through our own methodologies. This is the stuff that jumps out at me that's worth throwing into an article as just some stuff that some of which will seem obvious to some people, and uh, you know, some of it which may seem a little bit more revelatory, depending on where your current focus is and your level of experience. So we'll just jump on through these bullets and we'll, we'll see how you feel about, about them before I do a deeper dive in the article itself. First, okay. first, yeah. Are you are you are you are you expecting me to to give critical feedback on just, them? Is that your we'll just, angle we'll just here? fly through them, given that you want to get to bed sometime relatively soon, and you'll just give me you, you, give me your comments. We're making very good progress. You can have you can have a solid half hour on this. I have ten points, three minutes each. Let's see what we can do. Here's the first one: when you sell something, especially if you sell a card to a whale like a $100 card, $50 card, not just like a $3 purchase. And especially if it's, you know, on a platform where you have access to contact the buyer, ask them if they need something else. This is an easy tip. You know who's really likely to buy a card from you? Somebody that just proved that they are in the market for cardboard. I use this all the time on eBay. It is very effective. It might only get you an extra sale 15, 20% of the time, 
But if you just sold a $50 card and the guy reveals that he's also looking for a $300 card or he needs a revised duel or whatever, you're in real good shape. I think that this is uh, a very good bullet point. Um, you know, that sort of add-on sale seems like it gives you a lot of opportunities. And anyone who's been at this long enough knows that you'll be glad to sell multiple cards in a transaction. If it, even if you're giving a 10% discount on your other cards, because um, that saves you a lot of overhead time, effort, what have you. My, my only hitch here is that for a lot of our listeners, they're probably, I'm going to, I'm going out on a limb here because I don't actually know if this is true. This is a gut reaction. Probably not interfacing directly with their buyers. I mean, all of my sales are TCG and eBay pretty much just TCG, honestly. So like, it doesn't like somebody buys a soul uh, invention, soul ring. Like I'm not, I'm not messaging the guy and asking if he wants anything else. Right. Like it, it that seems like a, an, I mean, I could, but I can't imagine I'm going to, I'm going to get where I want too often with that. But now if I'm selling via Facebook or, or any sort of a little more personal um, direct method, then I think it's a very good strategy. But I mean, honestly, if, if I sell a, a $550 masterpiece soul ring, on tcg i'm absolutely hitting that pe- that person up now i don't always remember to do it because sometimes you're just in a rush but and and it's not always appropriate like say you're in a retail setting and a mom comes in and buys a pack of pokemon cards and heads for the counter you don't want to be yelling across the room hey do you need some foil yehennies too we got you want foil i've got a foil japanese yeheni you know it's it's very it is contextual um and i think the impersonal nature of a sales platform like ebay or tcg player is the midpoint on that spectrum the mom is way over on the don't try it part um with the pokemon pack and the you know the best is when you're dealing with a frequent client like somebody who is just a go-to you know i've been at this long enough that i do have some people that hit me up for stuff on a semi-regular basis i know that there are a bunch of pro traders that i've noted over time seem to make use of our group buys, for instance, to dump cards to their own play groups, or they'll buy a case of something at our, you know, rock bottom pricing, flip some of the collector boosters to their friends for plus 10, plus 15, still below market price. Friends are happy. Your boxes are still cheaper. You know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to work this angle, but yeah, ask if they need something else. Uh, so, I'm just out of curiosity. If you so if you sell to somebody on T, sell a five hundred dollar card to somebody on, on TCG Player, you well, on would, eBay, I do it all the time. On eBay, you you message that person, and ask them if they're looking. Yep. I mean, I guess eBay makes. And you, what what is the percentage on which you hit with that? I I would guess it's like for me ten to fifteen percent, like I was saying, but that's worth it because it takes you 10, 15 seconds to flick off that email. Yeah. All right. I, okay. I, I didn't and, say it was, I, and I, I want to stress, I didn't think it was a bad tip. I just seemed to uh, it, tad I, I definitely don't do it on just, like I said, random $5 card. But if I get the scent, especially if they over, like, if there's a theme to the purchase, like if they bought a Masterpiece Soul Ring and a Mana Crypt, oh, and wow. I was holding other inventions, <laughs> I'm, t- yes, I'm very much hitting them up to see if there's other ones, especially if, it, in as in my situation, I frequently don't have most of my inventory listed. 
In fact, a good portion mm-hmm. of my inventory and an increasing proportion all the time. I mean, the stuff that showed up in my uh, arbitrage packages the last couple of days, I'm at last count something like 30 grand behind on listing inventory. So good chance I've got something pretty sexy that you don't know I have. You know, if you've got, if you're the kind of uh, store level operator where the vast majority of your inventory, other than collections you just bought today, is already in your system, and they've already had a chance to see it, eh, maybe it's not as much of a priority. But especially if you, you know, just threw a card up on Twitter or Facebook to get rid of it and, you know, ask. It doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah. I think I think in those situations it's very good. I like I, I think you're, it is a touch contextual, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I think overall the concept is very solid. All for right, sure. number two is a pretty straightforward one, and everybody knows they need to do this, but not everybody has a game plan pulled together. And it's just get organized. As your inventory and or collection grows, you need to have a designated place in your house for that stuff. First of all, because you want to stay with your existing partner. Um, Two, because you're going to, uh, one of the biggest um, unrecognized drags on your profit margin is the time you spend doing this stuff. So one of the ways to counter that is to be very well organized. So basically when my stuff comes in, I'm processing it. I'm Generally, I do the processing during entertainment time. So it's almost always during Netflix, which is just, you know, or whatever you're watching or hanging out, listening to music or whatever, double up on the stuff you're getting done, you're already in a better position. The second half of that on the organizational side is that you get yourself into the, get all your supplies together. So you got the sleeves, the top loaders, you got the five rows, you got the place you're going to store all that stuff. You've got labels on everything. You've got a system, like maybe you're doing it alphabetically or you're doing it by set or you're doing it, in my case, I typically do it by color and then alphabetically within each color. Uh, In my personal collection, I'm mostly organized by format and then by color alphabetically. And, you know, I put everything over five bucks in a perfect fit. Then it goes into team bag that goes into a top loader and then it goes into the filing system. And that means that whenever I'm selling something or building decks, everything's at my fingertips and I don't have to think very hard about where it is. That saves a lot of time. If you're one of those people that I suspect Travis has some of this going on, just has piles of cards sitting around because you just never have time to get around to dealing with them. The weekend it'll take you to get everything whipped into shape will probably pay for itself in terms of not being surprised when you're you're going looking for something. You know, like the other day I sold a forty dollar card and I just can't find it, despite my great system. So somehow I've managed to misplace it. Just that alone is going to force me to buy that card from somebody else and one of the other pro traders and have that shipped out on my behalf, which costs me whatever, $20 in profits or whatever, just because I misplaced that one card. So imagine what it's like if you've got a twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 plus collection that you've never organized. And every time a card spikes, you're kind of thinking in the back of your head, huh, I feel like I bought some copies of that at some point, but I don't really know where they are. That makes a difference to your bottom line that you're just not seeing day to day. Are you familiar with that Twitter meme where people report the tweet and they say, I'm in this tweet and I don't like it? Sure. That's this bullet point. (laughs) 
Uh, I have I am like half organized. Like I have my box of cards that are listed first. The problem is my my collection, my the cards that I have had for sale have been part of an evolving system for uh since Zendikar. Like Zendikar, right? So I, I didn't just like sit down and decide I was going to do all of this four years ago and then build a structure right from scratch. I've just sort of been patching it as I go. So it's like, so what happens is like today, if I have, for instance, four copies of a card, I'm probably listing one of them on TCG player and not the other three. But if I have any copies of the card listed on TCG player, they go into my, the whole pack, all four of them go into my sales box. And then when I go get that copy, to when, when, one, when that one copy that I have listed sells, I go into my box, I find that card, I pull it out, and I have three more. So I know that I have additional copies to list. And that's how I keep track of whether or not I have extra ones. But I didn't always do that. So sometimes I'll go and I'll pull the one copy out of my box and go, okay, this is the only one I have and not list any more and not realize that I do have more They're in my other spec box because that was from before I was doing this. So I have like multiple tracking systems and that's just one, one angle on this whole inventory. Um, it, it would be nice if all of this was organized. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, this is, I have all my packing materials together. That's that's a very good idea. I um I personally print uh little hard case papers. So I I hate how much paper it uses to print a packing slip through TCG player. So I actually go into Word and I print tiny little papers, pre-print tiny little paper squares that have my TCG player handle and the first six digits of my TCG player order numbers because all your order numbers on TCG are the same or the first six digits are. So, I, and they're like, I don't know, two inches wide by half an inch tall. And I print like 200 of those and then chop them all up. And now I have a stack of them that will last me for however long. So, and I have like those in my pen, my tape and my scissors. And I have all that type of stuff collected to get the packing materials. But like finding, managing the intake and arrangement of cards has always been a challenge. And that's, that's just the physical inventory. That's not counting keeping detailed sales records not even for the IRS, but for myself, right? Like I have this issue where like I buy a card and I don't write it down anywhere. It comes in the mail and I drop it on my desk. It might make it into my spec box eventually, but I for, I probably forget that I have it. And then the thing spikes and I don't even know it because I don't have any way to keep And I don't know what I paid for it. I should have the email with the price that I paid for it, but not necessarily. So we, so we do provide the tracking spreadsheet uh, for people to use to track that incoming stuff to just have it in one place. And before I took over, MGG Price had a solid collection management system that I dismantled um, so that we could build a new one that was even sexier. Now, while that process is going on, the pro traders are you know, bereft of that option from us, but there are other uh, pieces of software out there that will fulfill the same function, Echo MTG, etc. cetera. Uh, Goldfish has collection tracking. Um and it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it'll, it'll give you some of what you need. A spreadsheet method lets you be a little bit more custom about what you want to track. And then I guess the simplest tip I have there, if you don't, even if you know you don't have the time and you're not going to keep that up to date, at minimum, when the card comes in with the TCG receipt or whatever, you just take a little white sticker, you put it on the top loader, and you write the 
month, year, and price. And then if mm-hmm. it's in your spec box, at least you have a reference. Mm-hmm. And that makes it super easy. So if something spikes, I just go look in my holding box and find the card, see how many copies I've got, what I paid for them, and I can be like, huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to work that ramp. So if it, I got in at 8 and it's currently at 16, I'll list a copy at 1588 or something. And then if it sells, take another look at the inventory. Has it hollowed out around me or is it filling in? If it's filling in, then you probably need to move your price down. If it's, if it's ramping up, then you can push it up a dollar or two and try again. And, you know, some form of tracking is pretty important. Because otherwise, if you just got a bunch of random cards that you paid for, but you don't know what you paid, then you don't really know, you know, what what you're, you don't have the context necessary to measure your success. So anyway, get organized. There's lots of tips in the ProTrader Discord to get a little bit more buttoned down. Uh, expand your network is number three. This is all about just not treating every transaction as though you are dealing with a vending machine. Often in the magic community, you know, magic is really about the gathering and true a lot of internet communities are of somewhat dubious uh friend potential (laughs) facebook groups reddit etc can be kind of tough to navigate there's a lot of sarcasm out there but there are still some great communities out there pro traders one there are others um where you can meet meet like-minded people that love the game play the game collect the game maybe they're vendors traders speculators whatever that will help you and the more people you have to help you, the better. You know, like the ProTrader network is large enough now that if somebody needs a helping hand, we got them. So whether it's setting up overseas arbitrage, whether it is something like what I mentioned where I can't find the card, I need somebody else to ship it for me, boom, they'll do it. I send them the money, we're good. I I will say that I really need to make better use of that Iron Discord because without fail, once every couple weeks, I'm like, where the fuck is this card? And I'm like, this this is in my house someplace and I can't find it. I end up having to refund the purchase, but I should ask Iron Discord. I I basically never refund refund the purchase. I just find somebody in the Discord. They're happy to get a sale. I don't care. I'm going to get solid feedback. I mean, I ship from Canada, so if I can have somebody in the U.S. ship it for me, all the better. One yeah. of the other little tricks you can yeah. pull is if you want to keep the sale for yourself, but you're worried because COVID is sketchy across borders, and this can go in any direction. It can be Europe to the U.S., U.S. to Europe, you know, Canada to the U.S., whatever. You can have somebody who owns the card ship it at a lower tracked shipping cost. Because for me to ship track from Toronto to anywhere in the U.S. is like 10 U.S. dollars. For you guys, it's like four to five dollars. So I'm going to save five bucks just through that process. Three. Or yeah, so whatever. So the you know that you could keep the sale and just trade a favor. You could say, hey, can you ship this card for me from your inventory, and I'll send you a replacement slow mail, and then I owe you one for the future. Um, and it also is about you know building up a client list. You know, if, if you have somebody that buys like an expensive amount of cards make note of that somewhere, like put it in an actual contact list and note, you know, the person's name, how you contacted them, was it Twitter, Facebook, whatever, their, you know, their contact information if they provided it and, you know, what they bought. Because if you know the person is, for instance, a vampire collector and they mentioned that they always buy all the hot new vampires and you end up pulling some rare 
you know, foil extended art vampire next year. Maybe you want to hit that person up and say, what's up? Are you, are you looking for this right now? Maybe they said that they play Tron and some new Tron piece got printed and you've got some cheap copies in stock from our, you know, European group eyes that you want to, you know, leverage. A network is a good thing. You do not want to be all alone out there as, you know, someone trying to be a merchant in a marketplace. You You definitely want to have friends and you want to treat those people the way that you want to be treated. So... You know, there's tons of people on Facebook that scam people all the time, and it's always seems so strange. It's so short-sighted. You're going to make more money from the community by being able to stay within the community. Rip somebody off for a couple hundred bucks or whatever, then you got to like set up fake identities and do all sorts of nonsense. It's just like it's a it's a hustler mentality that doesn't have any longevity. So anyway, expand your network. I I, I find that interesting. I, again, it's a good point. I think it's uh, certainly a wise strategy for trying to build repeated customers. I already noticed that you have a general theme to your technique here, which is uh, it's much more... Um, I don't know exactly how to describe this. Uh, and I don't mean that I'm trying to find a nice way to say it. I mean, I'm not... A, I'm not exactly sure how to draw the distinction. M- much more like a, uh, a a personal brand involved in a marketplace. Uh, someone who provides more than simply selling cards, as opposed to which is a, which is a different and it, it's a slightly different than my strategy. My because I'm I'm very hands off. Um, you know. I just try, try to put my attention elsewhere a lot of the times. So for me, it's I buy cards cheap when they're expensive. I dump them on TCG player and I don't think about it again. Um, and it's very low overhead in terms of effort, but I'm not doing it, b- building any of the connections that you're talking about here. And so we have very different ways of interacting with the market and your points all seem to, your, your bullet points here all seem to fit into your technique much more than my technique. Which is good, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a slightly different strategy. Sure. Uh, the next point is really, you know, a kind of a, a follow-on to expanding your network. Don't burn bridges unnecessarily. And this one is probably more of a, you know, I'm in the tweet moment, I suppose, in the sense that I have played <laughs> Lightning Rod many, many times on Twitter, either pursuing arguments for the, you know, in defense of MTG Finance or whatever, to the point where... I'm now the evil guy in the suit for a lot of people that is just the most evil, <laughs> which is funny because people that actually deal with me on a day-to-day basis basically just never get screwed over. Like I, I try to uh, manicure an excellent network of contacts where we treat those people well from a variety of different angles, whether it's sponsors or vendor partners or pro traders or whatever. And, you know, as long as those people treat us well, we treat them well. And that goes a really long way. But I've certainly made missteps along the way. Um, You know, a picture of me in a suit as my Twitter profile might have been the first one. Um, But I've I've also, you know, taken stances that were unpopular. And, you know, as we saw with Ellie, um, perhaps displayed less empathy than would have been otherwise uh, wise if what I was trying to build was to create the broadest base of support possible. So were you accused of that? Yeah. I mean, from a variety, 
pe- people seem to have trouble confronting me directly on Twitter because uh, they didn't want to get into a long-winded battle. But from the kind of whispers that I imagine go on behind my back, the my assumption is that there's there is a lot of misinterpretation of intent or events that leads people to make assumptions about mtg price or the pro trader program or myself or you or you know various other people that are involved and it's common for people to kind of trip over that in the social media and i guess what i'm promoting here is to be more mindful to be mindful about your role in the community and whether you can potentially do more good by you know, tempering your stance a bit. Now, this probably goes for both of us for, for, for different reasons and from different angles. Um, but even if you're just Joe nobody who's just, just started playing magic and doesn't know anyone, you know, make your first series of encounters positive ones and try to focus on the positivity is, is going to get you a lot further than being Mr. Sarcastic who comes in and criticizes everything but never produces anything you know tangible or helps anybody i mean (laughs) this is i mean this is uh you know as you wrap up there the the story for most of the internet to take into stride but yeah uh i i mean i i agree with the general concept and i am um i have found myself when I started, when I joined Twitter and as I grew a following through because of my magic writing, uh, tended to be a lot more involved. And, at, and my follower count was not a lot at all. But as I felt like I had kind of cemented my position in the community, you know, our tiny little niche um, and built up a follower and we were doing the cast and I was like, I... I found it more and more difficult became more wary of getting into disagreements and fighting with people about various stuff to the point where I, I engage much less than I could. Um, partly because it's very easy to, especially in these types of conversations in the field we're in, uh, generate negative interactions, I think where you didn't intend to, um, you know, intentions are generally read worse than they are, I think. Um, so you have to be very careful. And I, I agree. Try not to, it seems simple, but it's very, you know, just try to try to take your fingers off the keyboard if you're ever unsure and it will serve you better in the long run. There have been plenty of times where I have wanted to respond to people, um, and not just in magic, but all sorts of places. And I'm better served by not having done it. Uh, it takes more control. And sometimes I come home and yell at my wife about it. <laughs> and she has no idea why I'm complaining that this guy online is an idiot and doesn't understand the reserve list, but she's willing to listen. Uh, and it gets the urge out. One of the angles here is even if you put social media aside, you're just dealing with your buyers. You're selling some stuff on TCG. You've got a like first level store or whatever, and you're trying to build up your your reputation. You more you want to do this all the time, but especially when you're just getting started, you want all the reviews on your shipped product to be positive. And if let's say during COVID, this came up a lot early on in COVID as the the you know USPS started getting less and less reliable. 
and things were getting held up at borders and whatever. Pro traders coming into our Discord and saying, like, I did everything right. I shipped this guy a $20 card. He says he never got it. There wasn't tracking or the tracking stopped and it just disappeared. You know, what am I going to do here? And the answer is the same every time. You just suck that up. You, you take that hit, whether they ripped you off on purpose or, you know, the mail system lost your card. You just suck it up. That's the cost of doing business. You're going to get 1%, 2 3% losses depending on your scenario per year through theft and or, uh, you know, loss packages. And that's just got to be part of your game plan. And that's true at, at you know, high-level retail. Like Walmart stores have, you know, a certain degree of theft built into their budget every year. And even if you're running a small operation on eBay or TCG Player, you have to have the same thing going. And you also are going to be happier as a result. You can't spend time obsessing over, you know, a $20 card somebody ripped you off for. Because when you look back over your entire year over, say, you know, whatever, 50 transactions or 1,000 transactions, you're going to see that statistically it's not that high. Um, and if for some reason your numbers are really high, you're, there's probably something strange going on there. Like, for instance, if you're always shipping plain white envelope because you're cheap and you don't want to ever pay for tracking, and then you're consistently getting claims, you know, it, it, it turns into something that might be pointing you at uh, a change in methodology. That's probably a whole different topic. So moving on to the next point, uh, the fifth one is the three-quarter rule. We've been talking about that uh, a few times on the cast this year, and we've talked about it in the, with the pro traders in the Discord quite a bunch. And it basically just boils down to ignoring 75% of all of the specs that people throw your way. So if we're, we're kicking out five, six, seven, you know, cards to watch every week, you're probably best served just picking out the one or two that seem like the most solid. There's no points for originality in MTG Finance. It doesn't need to be your idea. It doesn't matter who came up with it. It just matters that it's the right pick at the right time. So, for instance, this week, we didn't pick one out, but would, would you agree with me that Fire Emancipation, Foil, Extended Arts are probably the pick this week? Uh, let me go, go back to the list. I think they are top two. Sure. So you want to drop that filter. Now, it's entirely possible that if we call out seven things, they are all good ideas, yeah. but the... You guys, you listeners out there, catch that James just tried to just like kind of backdoor get me to agree to his, right? Like that was just like, yo, you agree with mine was the right one, right? Like, wait, I, I'm on the I, games. I'm on the your game. I don't even, I have zero ego. I, I think of our picks as being <laughs> interchangeable because one day in the not too distant future, our every single pick we've ever made is going to be listed on the new MTG price site and we're going to be on the hook for it as a team. So, so don't, so don't, don't get, you know, there's, there's no, no point in, calling mine or yours it's still going to be our fault if anything goes wrong so the yeah i mean just run that filter 75 percent. now you could you could be looking at three picks and they could all be great and it's not some hard and fast rule you don't always have to cut out three quarters of what you hear but if you're constantly like just having that in the back of your head as this is you know a rule of thumb you're going to save yourself a lot of time and energy because it's very it's real simple a, a spec box full of five winners that you went really deep on that are just double ups to buy list cash and you're 100 cards deep on each is way better than having 300 specs two three copies of each all of which require different handling 
you don't want to be in the situation where you bought cards for $2 and you have to sell them for $3 because they don't have buy list support and you only have a couple of copies of each because the time just to make a listing somewhere, the, the effort to think about that card and the price of that card is being spread over your time. And that's just not where you want to be. So use that three-quarter rule. Okay, I think that's strong. Number six, value your time. And there's an addendum, but we'll get to that in a second. So as follow-on to what I was just saying, one of the th- strategies that I've been using is I've just cut out $10, like selling cards under $10 as singles, period. I just don't list anything under $10 anymore. A lot of that stuff gets absorbed in my collection. The only caveats are that I have tons of bricks that are under $10. Like I have nothing wrong with buying a card for $1.50 and sending it into a buy list at $2.50 or $3. But I want to have a bunch of them, so it's worth it for me to even be tracking that. So a brick is any, I don't know, like anything from 20 cards up. Maybe the if we were going to official, like make that terminology official, you might call it 100 copies or something. But it's, it doesn't really matter. You have a stack of cards, and because you've got a bunch of them, you can basically treat them as a singular object if their destination is a buy list. And if it's a competitive card and competitive comes back relatively strongly, you know, sometime in 2021... Then you're going to be selling playsets of four again. Now, one of the things somebody mentioned on on Discord recently was that they were selling arcane signets, which of course is a one, you know, a commander card that is only played in commander, and you can only have one per deck, uh, as fours. So they were selling playsets of arcane signet online, and that struck me as being brilliant, or at least sound tactical strategy in an era where most commander players now have multiple decks arcane signet just came out in the last year it's entirely reasonable that a commander player might go i put one of those in literally every deck i'm gonna build multiple decks this year may as well snap off four of those right now i know i'm gonna need them later and that let him get close to twenty dollars for four of them instead of trying to sell like doing you know four four to five dollar transactions that's just solid thinking right there because that's one one envelope, yeah. one stamp, one one wrapping process, one client to deal with, instead of four times the amount of all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's clever. Like I was, I was clever. out humble bragging on Twitter a few months back that my average sale uh, early summer was like thirty one dollars. Well, as of today, end of summer, I'm at forty four dollars average sale. That's, pr- oh, that's really I would good. guess that that is 10 times the average magic card sale at an LGS where someone just comes in and snaps off a $5 card or whatever. Yeah. And that means that if I've got to ship, you know, six packages a night or something while I'm sitting around with the wife watching Netflix, then, you know, that could be a few hundred dollars worth of stuff. The other day I sold a thousand. 1100 us two cards to somebody on twitter in the space of five minutes how would say that number again 1100 so like basically 550 a card it was like a a foil ftv mox diamond and a uh, gaia's cradle and both of those cards were buy list ratchets so they were both from uh eight uh alpha beta unlimited games abu games um buy listed Mm. in 2019 so that ratchet on that buy list was already like 109% or something. So basically I sent them what I spent $150 worth of cards on or whatever, and they gave me the equivalent of 
you know, $300 in value in the form of a guy's cradle. Now cradle has doubled up and I give the guy 10% off TCG near mint low. He gets the cradle for 540 or whatever it was in the, in the transaction and similar for the mocks. He's got a solid deal. I'm quadding that money inside 18 months and everybody's happy. That's where you want to be. And it's not the same for everybody. Like if you're, if I was a 18 year old getting in between high school and university or taking a year off or whatever, my time is worth a lot more. I mean, a lot less. I might be valuing that my time at 10 or $15 an hour, but given that my billable is more like 150 right now, it just make, and I, and I've got a kid um, and all sorts of other obligations with my day job. I had to draw a line in the sand because as I said, I'm thousands of dollars behind on posting inventory. That's going to be like an inefficiency bleed, but I'm all my ret- average ROI for 2020 is looking like something like 96% net pre-tax, but net everything else. So that's a really good position to be in where you've got real deep inventory, a strong ROI, even if it's only 20 or 30%, you're still doing great. And, you know, if your average package value is higher than your hourly wage, you're headed in the right direction. Now, as you get, you know, middle of your career, that's going to get tougher and tougher. But you at least want to make sure that if you're, you know, not fully focused on the movie you're watching, make that worth your while. Uh, yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit over the years that you don't want to be the guy buying cars for a dollar and putting them in an envelope for three fifty or four. And that's everything you said is correct. And I, I don't have a, I don't have a counterpoint to it. I agree. I also try to minimize the number of cards that I sell that aren't worth the time and effort. Um, and to, to maximize throughput on individual sales. I don't know what my average is. Uh, it's not $45. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, and again, I think it's important to remember that's a sliding scale depending on who you are, and that that's worth hitting on again. If you're 23, 26, you know you're you're making maybe thirty to forty thousand dollars a year at your job. If you have a, if you have a professional career, like maybe you don't have a professional career, you're doing something else, and you might make even less. Um, you know that number changes significantly. Uh, if you're scraping to make rent and this type of thing can give you a cushion, then it, you know, it's probably worth the effort. Although do keep in mind that, uh, you know, under a certain dollar an hour, it's just cheaper to go get a job at, you know, McDonald's or the pizza place or whatever. Um, those aren't as flexible as doing cards in your spare time and probably not as fun, but just something to be aware of. Uh, so I think the sliding scale thing is just the one thing to, to hit upon, but ultimately I, I agree that, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're doing a lot of work and the money you're making is just not worth the effort. Yeah. So seventh point is sell one, post one. If you sell something, put something else up for sale. This is just a real easy rule of thumb that keeps you in the pocket. When I talk about being 30 grand behind and listing stuff, I am not following this rule. And that's fine. Like You're going to get to a certain point where you might have five hours, 10 hours, 15, 20 hours to put into this a week. I have about 15. And that, and that has to include the podcast, interacting with pro traders, all sorts of other stuff. Sometimes I push it to 20 if we're having a real busy week with, with within the pro trader discord. 
but I really just don't have any more time than that. So if, and you're going to have your natural limit and maybe you've got four kids and, you know, a 60 hour a week job and you've really only got five hours, plan your MTG finance around that. Like understand what your limit is and work within it. And, you know, if you start hitting that limit, that's an even better reason to go back to the value your time point because one informs the other. But generally speaking, if something sells today, post something else tomorrow. Because if you're, if you're in the cycle of selling and then taking your MGG finance money and buying more stuff, like if you're ratcheting, you, you should have something that's about to go for sale. And the magic market is vibrant enough even during COVID, mostly because of EDH, it seems like, but whatever. The fact of the matter is cards still sell you probably have something that you should put up for sale. Like I'm willing to bet that if I went and spent an afternoon at Travis's house, I could find 10, 15, $20,000 worth of value that probably should have got sold sometime in 2020. But Travis got a new job. He's got a new baby. So he's naturally going to fall behind. It's it's the new house. It's the real drag. By sure. The way. There was that too. So, and everybody's <laughs> going to have those situations, but this is just a handy little thing. You know, carve out five minutes for yourself. On TCG, it's a little faster than on eBay. But for instance, on eBay, you can use, you know, the website is slower than the app. So use the app on your phone. Again, you can do that during Netflix time. You pack your orders for the day and then you put that many cards up for sale and you're done. That's your, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes a night or whatever during time that you were already going to be entertaining yourself. Nice, clean, little side hobby. Yeah, I, I think this point is, uh, I, I, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, if you have a very small inventory, you don't, I, I don't like that you might be pushing yourself to list stuff that you don't need to sell at the moment. Um, I mean, again, it's contextual. You if you don't have something to put up, then mm-hmm. you don't have something. But I would, I would argue most, given that we've made the argument multiple times on cast that 98% of magic cards or whatever are sitting in closets pointlessly, at minimum, even if you don't give a shit about MTG Finance, you're probably still a magic player slash collector that has a bunch of cards you should be buy listing. And yeah. now tonight is as good a night as any for you to go ahead and pull that random box you sort of spotted some good stuff in a few months ago and then never touched again. Drag it out, look it up on, you know, cool stuff or Card King or Channel Fireball or whatever. And, you know, trade in a bunch of your junk for something you actually want. Yeah, I, I will say that if you expand the concept to be a little more broad, so it's not just after you sell a card, you must post a card for sale. But if you sell a card and you don't have one immediately available for sale, you should be making an effort to find, to figure out how to get rid of some of your magic cards. It's probably better. It's probably good. Like you, chances are all of us are accumulating magic cards faster than we are getting rid of them. So somewhere you can be addressing that regularly. Yeah. This next one is kind of is is in the same ballpark as this is magic 101. <laughs> a, ask if they need anything else, but it's specific to oh. um, eBay. So I jumped ahead of ballpark. Yeah, e- eBay has a feature where if somebody has your uh, item up for sale in their cart, you can send them an offer. And typically, if you've got a relatively deep inventory, like I have 700 listings or something, on any given day, 
you eBay is probably give, giving you the opportunity to send out 30, 40, 50, 60 offers. And those are chances for you to just make a pitch real quick, bing, bang, boom, on the app with your finger on your cell phone again during your Netflix time. And that works. Like, in sales and marketing, we talk about qualifying buyers. And leads related to qualified buyers are worth a lot more than unqualified ones. So for instance, BMW does not want to send the average person an advertisement. They want to send that to a household with $100,000 plus in household income that hasn't bought a car in five years and that Alexa, you know, snooped on and heard them talking about cars. So the same principle applies here. If somebody has your masterpiece soul ring in their cart, but they haven't pulled the trigger, that's a really good time to offer them a $10 off coupon. Because if you're Travis and you were in on that at sub $100 and you've been sitting on it for three years, now is as good a time as any to claim your $400 in profit and roll. I'm out of the $100 ones. But <laughs> but point taken. Yes, but we, you're absolutely correct. If you, that, that functionality doesn't exist on TCG Player. But yes, uh, and you actually got me to go check my eBay account as we we're talking about it. Um, highly agree that that is a technique to take advantage of. The next one is something that comes up over and over and over and over and over and over again in the ProTrader Discord. We have group buys all the time on the hottest new sealed product. For instance, since Throne of Eldraine, pretty much every set of collector boosters that comes out, we have multiple sales. And the same question gets asked over and over and over again. What's the play here? Should I crack this? Should I buy this? Should I flip this? Generally speaking, the answer is sealed product is not your best spec. I mean, you just have to accept that. There have been exceptions. Mythic Edition, Throne of Eldraine Collector Boosters, um, some of the Secret Layers. Sealed product is not, you know, uh, Jumpstart. If you pre-ordered Jumpstart and, and lucked out into this ridiculous supply squeeze, you did amazing. Um, so sealed product is not, you know, a dead zone. But it's probably not as good as picking up bricks in Europe and flipping them to the CK buy list for, you know, plus 80% or whatever. Or, you know, quick flipping specs from our group buys for plus 20%, but doing it in a week. That stuff is going to be your bread and butter. If you really care about profits and accelerating wealth or the scope of your collection more um, than anything else, then you want to stick to that. I'm more of a vendor, speculator, player collector, like a bit of everything. So I have no problem buying collector boosters knowing that they are something like plus minus 20%. They're basically like kind of really good scratch tickets that don't really have much downside and the upside is also relatively limited. If you were opening Ikoria collector boosters early on, you probably did just fine. If you were opening uh, Core 21 uh, collector boosters, likewise. Zendikar rising collector boosters, if you hit a foil expedition uh, Skelding Tarn, you're not going to be disappointed. But a lot of this is rolling dice, and then you got to consider that whatever value of $5 plus cards you pull out of those things, you still got to you know sell them, so fees are like minus 15%, and then the time spent, and then how realistic are you being that you're actually going to sell all of your cards that are $5 plus to recoup and then get up 15%? The reality is that 
if there's a supply squeeze on Zendikar Rising Collector Boosters that manifests based on Wizards' you know problems this year with supply chain, and Zendikar Collector Boosters are in our group buy at, say, whatever it was, 200 or 205, and the market gets to 250 during Wave 1 because there just aren't that many lying around, then your best bet is just to flip them on Facebook and pocket 20 bucks a collector booster, get your cash back, and get ready for the Commander Legends stuff. If you commit to seal product and you commit to cracking it, then you are rolling dice. The argument can easily be made, as I alluded to earlier, that magic product is a lot better than lottery tickets, but they are still, you know, a relatively well-contained set of semi-random outcomes. (laughs) And... Just in terms of time you're going to spend, etc., Cracking Sealed is always going to be that. Very, very rarely is it just better to be going after Sealed. So Flip Don't Crack is a, is a reasonable rule of thumb that is not always true, but will help accelerate your gains. Yeah, this is not uh, news to... It shouldn't be news to any of you. Like don't don't open your sealed product. You're gambling. That's a lot. That's a lottery ticket. Like only open a lottery ticket if you know that you're opening a lottery ticket. And you know, generally don't do that, especially if they cost that much money. Now, one thing. Now, one so. thing I will say from a collector player perspective is that there are strategies you can employ in sealed that are can be very effective. So, for instance. You want to be tracking EV related to boxes. Standard booster boxes, just regular ones, have atrocious EV right now because nobody's going to their LGS and playing standard in North America. Um, But something like a Modern Horizons is edging up because it's now officially out of print. There are still boxes floating around. You can get them as low as, like, I think CK had them at 175 recently. Um, And we could get that same price overseas if we wanted right now. But between now and Modern Horizons 2 launching... They'll get a little more scarce, and they might end up being $250 or $300 boxes down the road with a relatively narrow addressable market. Now, if the EV of them is around $200 right now, and you can get them at $175, on average, you will, in theory, come out ahead. Now, one of the strategies that a player collector can use is a, little, is a handy little one called sell the top five. Just take the top five cards in the set that you don't need for any particular deck and flip them. So, for instance, in a Modern Horizons box, you open a foil Renin 6, or even just a regular Renin 6, go ahead and sell that and the Force of Negation and the Urza or whatever, and get most of your box cost back, and then you got all the rest of those cards for $20, $30, $40, That's a real solid place to be, because you're getting, you're building a collection at a greatly reduced cost, and you don't have to you know, spend too much time or effort selling into the marketplace if you sell the most expensive stuff first. Yep. Uh, Yeah, that works as well. I suppose that's a a more nuanced approach to it. All right, so the final point here is a simple one. Go ahead and join ProTrader. Seriously. It's just obvious, obvious value. (laughs) We've, we've talked about it a lot, so I won't get into it in great detail, but just join ProTrader. It's $8 to find out what you're missing, and then if you don't like it, we'll give it back to you. No problem. Oh, man. What a, what a, what a burner of a last. 
We, yeah. we, we had a guy today sign up and said, hey, I just signed up for ProTrader. Uh, paid the monthly. Get me in there right away. I have stuff to sell. And I pinged him back because <laughs> we have a manual vetting process and said, Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to do because um, we're not really a sales platform. Like we do have a buy, sell, trade channel that's pretty active. But if you're just looking to flip like really quick, you might want to hit up a Facebook group with a lot of members or you know, TCG or eBay or something. And he got back to me with like, you know what? Too late. The opportunity's passed. Uh, just cancel my membership. So hmm. it's not for everybody. If you're in a rush to sell cards Tuesday at 3 p.m. and you need it done by 4 p.m., <laughs> our vetting process takes usually three or four days uh, for us to get to know you a little bit before you we let you in the door. But once you're in, uh, well worth the price of admission. And at bare minimum, it will... Uh, provide a set of tools and strategies and access to hundreds of other members that can fill in some gaps where uh, our staff and moderators uh, may not provide everything that you need. So yeah, those are my top 10 tips to up your MTG finance game. Uh, Let me work on that title and I will hit you all back with an article within the week. All right. I think that's a pretty strong list of choices. I, I don't, I agree with all of them. I think they're all uh, strong ideas. And if Travis even adopts one or two of them, he'll probably have that much more money for his child's future education in the Thunderdome, since that's probably where he will be educated by the time this environment finishes collapsing. Yeah, everyone is like, oh, you got to start saving for your kid's college now. I'm like, no, I'm going to bank on either free college or total societal upheaval. But either way, I'm not paying for <laughs> You're getting them a samurai sword, some uh, a cabin in northern Canada, and uh, an unlimited supply of water. Yeah, yeah. There, I have, I have, I have plans for him, but none of them involve me paying eighty, ninety thousand dollars per year of college. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we can uh, wrap things up here. Um, Where can our listeners find you, James? Well, tomorrow night they can find me on Twitch at Twitch.tv/mdgcritic, where I will be doing a fairly epic unboxing. Probably my more, probably my most epic unboxing of 2020. I had a whole bunch of stuff sitting overseas in Japan, Europe, U.S for too many months and it all just kind of arrived in the last couple days so there are going some fun will be had and i'll probably give away a prize or two but most of you will not hear this in time so that really only applies to the pro traders the rest of the time you can find me on (laughs) twitter at mdg critic as well as via my weekly articles on well not so weekly anymore but occasional articles on mtgprice.com how about you travis what what time are you doing the unboxing? I'm going to aim for 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But but for the right, people, so most of the people listening to this, you just go find it on Twitch because it'll save it for a week or whatever. The, yeah, the cast will probably will hit should hit Discord by 10 o'clock tomorrow night. But no one will listen to the two hours before. No, they never do. To get to this mention, but well, like 126 <laughs> of them do. Like, I, I know exactly how many of them bother to listen early. But, but by the time I put it up. And then they listen to all two hours to get to you. Say that it will probably be. I'm just going to notify them in the Discord. So this is really this is whistling in the wind. Yeah. Um, where can right. they find people? Uh, find you online? I am still on Twitter at wizardbumpin b u m p i n. Lately, with the hot take that I don't think the Dune trailer looks that oh. good, and it's disappointing. Maybe, disappointing because Dune is my favorite book. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that next week. 
I suspect next week we'll probably also try to get Jason Ulton so we can do our official set review for Zendikar Rising. Um, I'd also yep. like to remind yep. our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service in case we haven't mentioned that today. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastical articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and of course a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Boy, will it ever. Playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 237. I made sure to look at the spreadsheet before I started that sentence for once. Uh, <laughs> was a good conversation as always. I think some very good tips for our listeners, especially for those who maybe aren't quite as uh, practiced or enfranchised as we are used to speaking to. Um, And we will see you guys all again next week. And I look forward to it. Thank you, Travis Daddy. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.